AlienLegacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, media, music, comics, and more, check out CageClub.me. That's CageClub.me. Hey everybody, I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is AlienLegacy.html sans aliens. Well, it has a alien and a minor cameo of the aliens that we know and love from the franchise that we are actually covering. Now, I want to take a step back and say, it seems like time makes fools of us all because it seems like just a week ago we were talking about Predator and in retrospect, I think my review of it was kind of harsh. I said I couldn't imagine being delivered a worse film with these pieces. Mmm. And here we are. You know, and I was so hopeful. I was so excited because I love Danny Glover. I love the trope of putting odd things in an urban setting. It's why I loved the first season of The Walking Dead and nothing that came after. I love Bill Paxton. I love Bill Paxton. And, you know, Gary Busey was in this. Gary Busey has teeth. Last week we said that we were going to have difficulty doing a full episode because there just wasn't a lot of plot to it. This week, it really feels like Predator 2 suffers from an overabundance of plot, but it is plot that I do not care about and if pressed for details would probably not be able to quote back to you with a stunning amount of accuracy despite having just watched the film. I feel like if you fed a thousand hours of Predator 2 into a computer and it- made it write a script it would write predator 2 it would just be the word fuck and a lot of shooting over and over again that's all it would be apparently this film originally had an nc-17 rating from the mpaa and they had to do edits to get it down to an r rating which yeah they were just kind of tossing some cats around yeah that was a scene that like most of the film was gratuitous and unnecessary i like that you used the phrase gratuitous and unnecessary before we can talk about anything else i just want to go on the record as saying I understand that this was created by people with the best of intentions of making a film, but I'm not sure what this film was trying to tell. I don't know the lesson we were supposed to get from it. There's a little interesting historical context, kind of, sort of, almost. The film was made in 1990 and said that in 1997, LA will have devolved into terrifying riots, and between the production of this film and 1997 would come the Rodney King LA riots, and certainly this film was not toned to the sociopolitical realities of LA at the time. It just did it as racistly and xenophobically as possible. Oh yeah, so, so, so much racism and xenophobia in this movie. King Willie, the voodoo king drug lord was baffling to me. It seemed like it took a lot of effort to get that racist. Kind of, yeah.
Tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes that went into making Predator 2, Pigs in the Big City. Well, the original writers, Jim and John Thomas, pitched about six ideas for a sequel, and putting the creature in an urban jungle was the one that the studio liked the most. They felt that a city blighted by gang warfare in the midst of a severe heat wave created the ideal hot spot for the Predator to hunt targets, which, sure, on the surface, I kind of get. I'm trying to imagine what, like, the sixth one down was, and this one's a little Predator on the prairie, but we don't think you're interested in that one. What if this was the one that they thought was bad, and they're mad their first five ideas didn't get made, and maybe that's even why it's so not good. They had this idea for doing the entire Little Women series starring Predators, and they were just really upset that <laughs> Joe didn't get her due. That's not funny, I'd watch that movie. I really would. Laura Ingalls Wilder! So, this director, Stephen Hopkins, hadn't really done much before this movie. His first real, major film, and I put both of those words in quotation marks separately, was A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. I feel like by that point in the franchise, most people don't appreciate those films as much as they did the original. Is that correct, Nico? I would say that if you're on that number of nightmares, you should just take an Ambien and be done with it. Well, but it was his work on that movie that drew the attention of producer Joel Silver, because, wait, did we even say that in the first episode, that these movies were produced by Joel Silver? Who I used to get confused with Joel Schumacher until Sh- yeah. Joel Schumacher explained that his uh, Schumacher has been Joeled something like 20,000 times. Yeah, well, there is that. Silver is also the person who brought in Danny Glover and Gary Busey after having worked with them on Lethal Weapon, much like he brought in most of the people who had been on Commando for Predator because he produced that as well. So, like, it's just people circle jerking off bad ideas at this point. Schwartzy did not return due to salary disputes, which is really interesting that it was the same thing as the Alien sequel, but here, no one fought for him and they just moved on to Danny Glover. I mean, if the joke's on anybody, it's probably on Predator 2, which is a footnote in the annals of sci-fi history, while Arnold would go on to make Terminator 2 Judgment Day with James Cameron not too far after that. Yeah, that's really true. James Cameron, who is another director who has worked on this franchise, the Alien franchise before. That's fun. That's cool. That's hip. There's actually a quote on the Wikipedia article that specifically has the phrase, the main Predator was designed to look more urban and hip than its predecessor so that's why the word hip is just stuck in my head and if that's not quintessential 1990s i don't know what is so we need the alien to look a little bit more urban so could you graffiti it and maybe give it a disc man you know i wouldn't have been surprised i really would not have been after this composer for predator and predator 2 alan silvestri would go on to score stephen hopkins next two films as well judgment night in 1993 starring emilio estevez cuba gooding jr jeremy piven steven dorf and dennis leary that's a bunch of names. That's like a whole lot of names. Yeah, and the next movie after that in 1994 was Blown Away, starring Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones, and Forrest Whitaker. Like, and I've never heard of those movies either. I've heard of The Ghost and the Darkness from 1996, starring Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas, which is this weird, half-true story about devil lions. It's it's weird. I don't necessarily recommend it. I'm sorry, I got lost somewhere about bridges and forests and... Sorry. The important thing is that film was scored by none other than the legend Jerry Goldsmith. I can't believe that Jerry Goldsmith is actually the purpose of this podcast and we didn't know it going in. Right? Stephen Hopkins also directed The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which was written by Marcus McFeely of the MCU franchise. Hey, Connective Thread, how you doing? Yeah, right? And hey, here's a 
connective thread for Nico, his film Under Suspicion, starring Gene Hackman and Morgan Freeman, was scored by BT. It's just magic everywhere this show touches you. Show us on the Predator doll where the show touched you. In some very bad places. Other than that, he's worked on a bunch of TV, he directed Traffic, the miniseries, as well as the pilots and some episodes of, along with EPing, 24, Californication, and House of Lies. The screenwriters are the same, same people. I talked enough about them last week. They didn't really have a bunch going on after this movie. And, you know, Alan Silvestri, legendary composer. He still had a long way to go even after this movie, though, because while this was post Back to the Future 2 and 3, it was still pre-Soap Dish, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, Fern Gully, The Bodyguard, and Super Mario Bros., which, by the way, is a film where he replaced composer Jerry Goldsmith. But how even? How even, though? Yeah, that was a thing that I learned. Apparently, like, whole scores can sometimes be rejected from a film. There are several credits on Jerry Goldsmith's page where it's like, he wrote the score for this, but it was rejected. So much work. What do you do with it then? You repurpose it for another score. And then when that's rejected, you repurpose it again. (coughs) Hans Zimmer. My review of Predator 2 is Predator 2, I streamed it. It's a movie that we watched. Predator 2, there were mathematically more Predators in this film than in the first one. I'm pretty sure there were actors in it. Predator 2, we in fact complied with union rules and had a craft services table. There were about like five shots in this movie that I actually liked, honestly, and that's genuinely about it. Honestly, the only shot I would have liked in this movie was the one I saved for myself at the end. Nice, I thought that was gonna get dirty, instead it was dark. It was very dark. This movie just bugged the shit out of me. Okay, so here's my actual thing. Predator is a canvas you paint on, and you paint a movie onto Predator, because Predator is about hunting. It's about the secret hunter that is in into an existing situation and complicates it. Right. The Predator is not the actual subject of the film. He's here to kill the subject of the film. So the genre, you so it's kind of like American Predator story. Yeah, I get that. And you need to really cast the right thing because the first one was American Predator story Jungle Fury. Yeah. And this one was American Predator story Urban Jungle. And I don't think in American Predator story, they really understood how to tell the urban futuristic jungle story especially with that little tidbit you told me about how their big thing was in the future there will be subways yeah at the time this movie came out there was not an la subway system the los angeles metro rail didn't come out until like the same year as this movie so all that subway stuff is made up look they're gonna have subways in the future seven years from now which like that's automatically something that always takes me out of movies like this it's bad enough that the original lost in space tv show took place in the year 1999 like 30 years was already way too close together but you're projecting seven years into the future we're gonna have like this weird new video technology and a subway and there's just gonna be gang violence fucking all over the city it was a lot to say is going to happen within the decade And the balance of that is, while a lot of that did happen, the subway came later that year, and we did have more technology later on, I think what bothers me is the foolishness of the need to include voodoo. Ugh. Just so xenophobic and racist, just really an unfortunate touch, and I don't know if they felt that perhaps having a black lead actor would give them a shield to use, but it ultimately, for me, weakened the efficacy of the 
storytelling because it just felt like this other piece out of nowhere. There certainly were a lot of actors of color in this film, that's for sure. Thanks to the character of Detective Cantrell, women definitely got a better portrayal in this movie than they did in the first one, but doing slightly better when you're also doing a bunch of not great things, it's not the step forward that you might think it is. I really liked your comparison to American Predator story because it's really important then the film that you drape this predator concept over. If we don't care for the film that is going on that you're injecting the predator into, then the entire thing falls apart. And I found the whole plot of the film so confusing and meandering and not engaging. I think that's in part because something that we're supposed to identify the film by is that the predator is the thing they're all united against. But honestly, I don't know that that comes across. The predator seems like something that they've all sort of happened into more than it feels like anything driving the story forward. As a matter of fact, I feel as the predator comes into focus, the story of LA completely disappears into the mythology of the predator that they're trying to create. I appreciated a lot of what they were putting forward in the mythology and it actually explains where a lot of it comes from because in Alien vs. Predator, which I've already seen, I was kind of like, the fuck? But this helped me understand a lot of it and I feel like the mythology of Predator handled in a more competent film would have gone a lot further. This film just really didn't feel like it understood the story it was trying to tell. I agree, because I see what you're saying about how this really developed the Predator mythos more, but only about 10 cumulative minutes of this film really did that. I found a lot of the Predator's motivations still sort of confusing, even with the lovely method that they employed here of him using a yak back, basically, to quote people's speech back to them. Loved hearing a Predator say the word motherfucker. That was needed for this movie, obviously. Was he just going to continue killing people in LA? I thought, like, don't Predators have, like, goals at a certain point? Isn't he like, okay, I'm done with this hunt, or or no? I it's It's hard to understand his motives when you have a character who can't talk even to himself, let alone to exposit to the other characters. I also was not a big fan of Danny Glover could stand toe-to-toe with a predator. Maybe this predator just wasn't as tough as the predator from the first one, because I'm not, like, knocking Danny Glover. No, but he was 44 when this movie was made, you know? Yeah, but I think my favorite part was at the end of the movie, after the baseball game, when he adopted the two little predators. No, that's Angels in the Outfield, right? You're right, you're right. No, this is the one where at the end he and the predator escaped by sawing off his leg oh that's saw i never saw saw i'm glad that i had to mime the bit to you and i'm going saw i guess at some point i'm gonna have to see saw huh i mean i'll see saw too yeah but no not saw but saw oh but this isn't saw got it i feel like it's losing meaning anyway better call saw this movie did not hold my attention. And like I said, there were a few shots that I thought were fun or interesting. The opening shot where they make you think that you're panning across a jungle, but then actually it's outside LA. Like, that was clever. That was a funny, cute opening. And then it was literally all downhill from there. I had to wonder how many times they were going to say the word fuck in the first five minutes. The scene where Archuleta is killed and like his 
native necklace falls and the way that blood drips on it it was actually like i was actually specifically embarrassed for the production quality of this professional film when i saw that especially after he did so well on american idol and he had that hit single crush i felt like that was just a really disappointing end okay so you know is anyone even gonna get a david archuleta reference anymore you have been so salty about my jokes in these last two episodes these movies suck it's like we don't like the subject matter or something. Remember the part where the predator got struck by lightning? Like, what was that? What purpose did that serve? Real badasses get struck by lightning. I guess I'm picking up fetal heart signs through this woman's clothes. Like, that's not a thing. What if he was just a really big Back to the Future fan? I mean, ironically, Alan Silvestri, Back to the Future. Ironically, that's not right. I mean, I feel like language has lost all meaning in these films. <laughs> so Predator is our first post-verbal film discussion. So I guess the only thing left to talk about as we wrap up the first two Predator films is its relation to the Alien franchise and how we feel that it connects which at this point isn't very much at least on screen the only visual connection between the two universes is a xenomorph skull trophy seen toward the end of the film that was put in because production designer stan winston worked on both films and knew that fox owned the rights to both films and thought it would be a clever little nod one of the things i love about that is the mystical synergy of how that all comes together the actual origin behind the alien vs predator line was a successful series of comics that were produced in the late 80s starting with November of 1989 in Dark Horse Presents 34 through 36. The idea had been in concept for some time. It usually takes at least a year for an idea to go from franchise concept to comic print. It's a very long, arduous process where things have to be signed off by a million people a million times. And so it's really magical that the comic franchise sort of gave back to the film franchise that helped create it. And you know, you made an interesting point to me about the fact that it was easy for Fox to be able to do this comic line, toy line, video game line because they held the rights for both properties and because they're both alien franchises, it lends itself so perfectly to that sort of synergy. I think it's really interesting to be covering that so soon after we did the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think things like the Alien Skull Trophy at the end of this movie probably helped fan flames of excitement about seeing more projects between these characters. It's the sort of little Easter eggs that we saw in early Marvel movies that we were like, maybe that'll be something someday. And it sometimes took five, eight, ten years, but eventually some of them were something someday. And it's really cool to see something like that going on in cinema way back in 1990 and to know that it did pay off into at least one film that we both greatly enjoyed. That's the heart of what makes Predator so good, the potential for what there could be. We connect with the idea of surviving, and we connect with the idea of, in some ways, being the advanced hunter. We can identify both sides of that equation through the human experience, and I think there's something underlying about community and tribe that we connect with as well. So it's just sort of the trappings of these movies that hurt what could be a really fascinating psychological franchise. Because one of the most fascinating things I've 
feel about the Predator mythos is how little there is to it. I like the additions of seeing that, you know, it's a tribe and, and these hunts go back as far as if those trophies are to be believed, potentially the dinosaurs. You don't need to know too much more than that. They're these primitive yet technologically advanced hunters and they're after you and that's all you need to know versus the xenomorphs complex technological and biological processes. Kevo, I'm sorry. I just need to correct you. It's actually from the set of Jurassic Park. This is LA in 1997. That actually would be kind of funny, though, if it was a Jurassic Park prop. Look, we have captured this very still monster. <laughs> and speaking of very still monsters, we unfortunately have to take a dramatic departure from the magic that is the good alien movies and find ourselves in a movie I've already discussed on this network before. We will, of course, be taking a look at the theatrical release David Fincher's Alien 3. I believe it's pronounced Alien Cubed. And until we take a look at Alien Cluck, where can everybody find you online, Kevo? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less. You can also find the super fun, super cool, super inclusive superhero work that Nico and I produce over at KidRideComics.com. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network doing shows like X's for Podcasts, where we talk about the uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it continues its 1980s dominance of the market, as well as Jonathan Hickman's incredibly popular resurgence of the X-Men comic franchise in the form of House of X and Powers of Ten. Don't forget to check out my other amazing show on this network, Now and Again, with my childhood best friend Chris Podcast, where we talk about the Now That's What I Call Music series. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's over at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Alright guys, until we crash land on a prison planet that you know, yeah, it kind of feels like a prison. We'll see ya. Predator sound. Alien skull on a wall sound. Yeah. Do skulls make sounds? They used to. In space, no one can hear you skull. Yikes. Yikes, this is... Man, I hope no one listens to the end. <laughs> <laughs>